six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental And good afternoon. Welcome to this, the Thursday edition of A Public Affair. I'm your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff. Following a two-day hearing at the High Court in London that concluded yesterday, two British jurists are now set to rule on whether or not Julian Assange, the founder of the whistleblowing website WikiLeaks, will be extradited to the United States. The court is expected to rule on the case in days or possibly weeks. This week's London proceedings were but the latest chapter in a legal battle stretching back nearly 14 years. Joining us today is journalist Kevin Gostola. Having spent the last decade covering Assange, WikiLeaks, and the wider war on whistleblowers, Gostola is the author of Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange. Uh, That's from Censored Press and Seven Stories Press. He edits and publishes the Dissenter newsletter, which regularly covers press freedom, government secrecy, and whistleblowing, and can be found at thedissenteroneword.org. Published earlier this week, his article titled Julian Assange's Last Chance to Avoid Extradition appeared on the Progressive Magazine's webpage on Tuesday. Welcome, Kevin Gostola. Hey, thank you for having me. Good to have you here. You know, Kevin, just jump right in. Let's start with some background, the origins of this case that's still playing out and now in the uh, British courts. In 2010, Assange received hundreds of thousands of classified U.S. documents from the U.S. Army uh, whistleblower Chelsea Manning, which which were published on WikiLeaks. Take it up from there. Start by refreshing perhaps some of our listeners' memories about what WikiLeaks is and what the leaked documents contain. Yeah, absolutely. WikiLeaks had this idea that they would perform scientific journalism. And essentially what that means is allow people to read the documents themselves, the scoops that journalists obtain. Oftentimes when you read the New York Times or the Washington Post and they get material, they may only share snippets, but we don't see the full documents that form their investigative journalism. And so WikiLeaks said, why not make this information available to everyone? Then then after the news stories are written, you can have academics, historians, people who want to write books. Uh, you can have average citizens can read the material and that way we can all benefit. There's a, uh, a global knowledge that is enhanced. And these documents that were provided by Chelsea Manning were documents that showed the daily the, the daily incidents that were occurring in the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and identify things like 15,000 civilian deaths that were previously unknown until those documents were shared. There were there was of course this video, this very vivid video that WikiLeaks called collateral murder that was disclosed and and showed an Apache helicopter attack in Baghdad. There were two Reuters employees that were uh, gunned down by this U.S. military gunship. Then there were over 250,000 U.S. diplomatic cables that were disclosed. And quite a, a number of, of scoops were written about that. 
Those cables perhaps gained the most importance in worldwide attention as they were fueling the uprisings in the Middle East and Northern Africa. It was part of what was called the Arab Spring back in 2011. And then we had Guantanamo detainee assessment briefs. So seeing some of the uh, false intelligence or some of the uh, lies that the U.S. military had been using to keep people indefinitely detained at Guantanamo. And of course, Obama, President Obama, as he was elected in 08, pledged to close that facility. So these documents were coming out at a time when they could support shutting down that prison. So this takes us all the way back to them. These are the documents that are at issue in this case right now. So uh, Chelsea Manning was charged with the Espionage Act, with Espionage Act related offenses and prosecuted uh, in a military court martial and um, received a 35 year sentence from from Barack Obama's uh, from Barack Obama's administration, later commuted. But Julian Assange was not indicted at the time. Why was that? The reason why his Justice Department ultimately decided not to prosecute Julian Assange is an important. Uh, it's very important to Julian Assange's extradition right now. Uh, it's part of the argument that politics are at play here. Obama's Justice Department said they would not indict because to do so would put journalists at risk at the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Guardian who had published these documents just like WikiLeaks. And they called it the New York Times problem. This was covered in the Washington Post. Then Donald Trump comes into office and Mike Pompeo is CIA director, Jeff Sessions is attorney general, and you have a change of attitude. They no longer feel these First Amendment issues are important enough to stop them from charging Julian Assange. So why did they go after him? That is, what was, you know, you talk about the Trump administration. I can't help to think that everything's political. <laughs> that yeah. Is, that, that is, what were, what were they, what were they seek, seeking to do? Sessions and, and so on. Okay, so it's a little bit more insidious because what happens is there's a group of documents that he's not even charged with disclosing at the moment, um, but he could it could come up in a trial. And these were called the Vault 7 materials. And these were documents that were the largest CIA leak in the history of the agency. And they revealed the hacking capabilities and some of the cyber warfare tools that the agency can use. And it made Pompeo livid. And according to reporting that we have, uh, primarily from Yahoo News, Michael Isakoff, Zach Dorfman, and Sean Naylor worked on this incredible article in September 2021 that looked at what was happening in the administration. WikiLeaks gets labeled a non-state hostile intelligence service, and then a campaign is undertaken against them. And Pompeo, along with the help of Jeff Sessions, is applying great pressure to bring an indictment against Julian Assange. And also there's a pressure campaign against Ecuador to expel him, revoke his citizenship. He was living under diplomatic asylum in the... London Embassy, Ecuador's London Embassy. And on April 11th, 2019, they succeeded in forcing him out. British police arrested him and took him to Belmarsh Prison in London, where he is detained right now. 
Assange was charged with 17 counts of violating the Espionage Act of 1917. Talk about that, because in its origins, while it was called the Espionage Act, it really didn't deal with espionage. That's correct. Uh, The origins is one in which... Woodrow Wilson was using it as a tool of repression. It was a, I think there's something like the stern hand of repression is a quote from Woodrow Wilson and and going after dissenters, people who were protesting U.S. involvement or future potential involvement by the U.S. in World War One. And those who were leafleting, sharing anti-war pamphlets, they were targeted. And so now today, in the last 25 years, we've seen it develop into a law that is primarily, up until this point, used to go after those who are leaking classified information. It was favored by President Barack Obama. He prosecuted more people under the Espionage Act than all previous presidents combined. Up until Obama's administration, the most significant case had been the Pentagon Papers case with Daniel Ellsberg as the whistleblower who released those documents exposing lies around the Vietnam War. But then he went after at least a half dozen or more people who had significant convictions, most of them exposing surveillance, uh, wars, uh, challenging government torture policy like Bush administrations uh, supporting waterboarding and then now we've seen that the progression of those cases have led to where the Justice Department is confident that they can go after somebody who publishes leaked material. So, so the 17 counts, talk, talk about what leaps out there. What are some of the specific counts or charges and, and why so many? Yeah. So there are, are, numerous charges here and and a lot of espionage act cases those cases where you see espionage act prosecutions may just be a handful of charges i think it says that they really do want to nail julian assange and so they have this many charges against him what we're speaking about are first there is this one conspiracy charge that they desperately use to make it seem like he wasn't engaged in standard news gathering activities. They say he conspired with Chelsea Manning. He recruited her to steal documents from U.S. military computers. And in doing so, uh, he violated the Espionage Act. And so then that's where those Espionage Act charges come into play. And they're saying that WikiLeaks, by soliciting classified information was committing a crime, even though that's what now over 75 news organizations throughout the world do. They have set up similar secure submission systems. It's called Secure Drop, and they ask people to leak information in the public interest. They're singling out Julian Assange and saying that somehow his conduct was different. I'll add that they mentioned that There's informants' names that were exposed in these documents. They say, oh, he compromised human sources that were working with the U.S. military or the State Department. He didn't properly take care of them. There's a lot of misinformation and disinformation around what really happened with the documents. The basic point that needs to be made is these are editorial issues. Mismanagement of documents 
is not illegal. If you do something and you shouldn't have exposed someone to harm, it's not illegal. We don't have a law in the United States that prohibits journalists from publishing the names of informants or human sources. Joe Lieberman wanted to pass a law like that in 2010 after WikiLeaks. It did not pass in Congress. You're listening to Kevin Gastola, a journalist who's been following the case of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks for quite some time. We'll be opening up the phone lines in a little bit, well, at, at the half hour, as I usually do, at 608-256-2001. If you wish to join the conversation with a comment, an observation, a question, again, 608-256-2001. Kevin, you, you mentioned, of course, that uh, in 2012, J Julian Assange fled to the Ecuadorian embassy in London to escape extradition to Sweden, and he was there until into 2019. Talk about what that was about. Um, there was the accusations of rape and sexual assault that were later dropped. Um, and then what happened then after he was ejected? Yes, yeah, so what's important to say here is that while these allegations are not a part of this case against Julian Assange, it's ultimately what led him to enter the Ecuador embassy and live under asylum for seven years uh, because there are numerous improprieties and issues with how the Swedish prosecution authority handled these allegations. And I, I think it's important to believe women who make these sorts of allegations against someone. They certainly deserve fair justice. But if you look at particularly uh, former UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, Niels Meltzer's book about uh, the persecution against Julian Assange. He documents in great detail what happened with this Swedish case. And Julian Assange believed that there was a potential for extradition to the Sweden, and then he would be handed over by Sweden to the U.S. government so that they could prosecute him for these charges that we are discussing right now. And they refused to come to the embassy and question him, even though they had a process that they could follow. Um, the U.S. and the U.K. actually pressured Sweden to not come and ask him questions about his conduct, his alleged misconduct. So he remained, as a, uh, the U.S. said, a fugitive in the embassy. They do not recognize that he was living under asylum. And he was charged with jumping bail. And they used that as the offense, the pretext to arrest him immediately when he left the Ecuador embassy because he had to. He was expelled. And then they put him in Belmarsh prison in April. And then he had these pending charges. So he's been fighting extradition for the last five years, nearly five years. Again, 608-256-2001. Uh, we'll open up the phone lines in a little bit. If you have a question, a comment, an observation, give us a call. Again, 608 256 uh, 2001. So he's ejected from the Ecuadorian embassy in, in 29, earlier 29. What happened then? The uh, it's, it's at that point when the, the sealed indictments come out, yes? Yeah, we start to see what the U.S. government is going to throw against him. But we knew some of this was coming. There had been a grand jury that was restarted by the Trump administration, and Chelsea Manning actually was hauled before it, asked to testify against Julian Assange, refused, engaged in classic 
grand jury resistance, went to jail where she was held in contempt and for nearly a year was in jail before ultimately being released and tragically attempted suicide before her release, but ended up getting out. And it was clear that this was all just a political persecution game. They were trying to get her in a perjury trap. She didn't give up any information. They didn't need it to indict Julian Assange. He was indicted. And then there were some allegations that they tacked on and added against him in 2020 that don't get talked about a lot, but they wanted to sweeten the indictment before they had a big major extradition proceeding in September 2020. So they added stuff like, oh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks supported Edward Snowden and helped him flee Hong Kong, where he ultimately got stuck in Moscow and he's been living there under asylum. And and, and they committed a crime by helping Edward Snowden. And then, oh, he uh, encouraged hacking. Oh, he helped hackers. He solicited hackers. They had a bunch of information that they put in there that's part of the narrative but are not attached to any particular charges. But putting that information before a British judge has helped the U.S. government keep this extradition request from being tossed out. Julian Assange remains jailed at this point in Bill Marsh prison. Um, that name rang a bell to me and I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it, but it's come to me before, uh, I think in relation to Irish Republican army, uh, radicals and so on. What can you tell us about Bill Marsh prison and the conditions that Assange is living under now? So during his time in Belmarsh, uh, it, it is a place in which you see, uh, accused pedophiles. You see people who are accused of rape and murder. There are Al-Qaeda terrorists who have been brought to this facility. It is nicknamed Britain's Guantanamo often, and it is a very strict facility, except Julian Assange is accused of a nonviolent offense and has been kept there without bail. He's been in some conditions that were like solitary confinement. Uh, and then ultimately there were prisoners there that came to his support and he got moved into general population. He has poor mental and physical health. It's deteriorated considerably having been in some form of detention for uh, about 15 years now, very nearly 15 years. And there is a healthcare team that has been there to support him and give him attention. We heard about that in the extradition proceedings. But it's yeah, it's a very harsh facility. He doesn't get sunlight. He has very limited recreation time. Uh, we're going to go ahead and open up the phone lines. Jack tells me that we have a call. Someone named Alan who wants to ask about how far back these breaches went. Security breaches. Alan, hi, you're on the air. Oh, honey, uh, it's David, actually. We haven't, Jack? Uh, Hello? Uh, it's not coming through. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Par- apparently have have a glitch. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just continue on. Sorry about that, folks. Um, Hello? Yeah, Jack, uh, hi, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm David. 
Oh, David. Yeah, you can go. All right. Yeah, I, um, I, I, it did have to do with how far back this goes. If I recall, uh, the, the, the first release of documents, or if I remember right, it was actually a video of the destruction of an ambulance. And uh, the, um, I, I think there was a, a drone attack on some civilians, and then an ambulance shows up, and the, the drone attacks this, the ambulance drivers. And that was um, uh, the, uh, oh, good grief, I've forgotten her name. Uh, uh, the uh, it, it was it, Chelsea Manning was uh, a, a guy at that point, and he was he was. I'm not sure if he was a drone operator, but it seems to me that that was all the way back into the Bush administration. And uh, to hear the headlines lately uh, about Assange, they're alleging that it all has to do with the release of documents related to uh, Donald Trump and and the. Uh, 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 Hillary Clinton uh, era. So I'm wondering if um, is is the story about Assange being spun to ignore the uh, the Bush administration crimes? Kevin Gastola. Okay, so uh, to sort this out, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks started doing their work towards the end of the Bush administration. The leaks happened while President Obama was in office, so after Bush. It did involve uh, exposing what the Bush administration was doing when it came to torture and when it came to pursuing the global war on terrorism. And now what you're saying about spin in the media and the documents and how uh, it gets said that Somehow this is because of Clinton campaign emails that were published by WikiLeaks or that Democrats don't like him because he maybe helped Trump win the election in 2016. That's actually not part of this case at all. I, I suppose they could, during closing arguments, say this to try to get a jury to convict Julian Assange. But the charges themselves are about documents that one WikiLeaks and Julian Assange awards and wide acclaim from human rights organizations in 2010. And uh, it puts freedom of the press at stake, the fact that the Justice Department is insistent on pursuing these charges. So let's go into uh, what the this week's London court proceedings were about. Talk about the what, what the U.S. Rep- attorney the attorneys representing the U.S. Uh, were claiming and what the uh, uh, people for Assange were c- counterclaiming. Yes, yeah, so this was an appeal from the defense. So I'd like to start from their standpoint because they ultimately sure. need to convince the high court to grant Julian Assange an appeal. And if they lose, then he's lost all options in the U.K. in order to stop extradition. So they went before the court and they said that the district judge that had ultimately made this decision committed an error and didn't uh, apply extradition law appropriately. What he's accused of is what is known as a political offense or political offenses. They're targeted at a government. And his attorneys make the case that he was exposing state criminality by the U.S. government that there are examples in there of human rights abuses and torture and all that, and even trying to stop governments from investigating CIA torture. And so because of that, 
there was this animosity towards Julian Assange that led to this case happening. And they point to things that we already talked about, like Obama not indicting, and then Trump has indicted him, to say that this wasn't just a fair application of the law against Julian Assange. They mentioned that this is a first-of-its-kind prosecution. A publisher has never been prosecuted under the Espionage Act. And then the U.S. government countered with not much. They, they basically restated the arguments against WikiLeaks. They, they, they continue to claim that Julian Assange is no ordinary publisher. They say that WikiLeaks is not a legitimate media organization, things of that nature. Uh, they say that the actions that he committed, that he engaged in, go well beyond journalism. And then they misrepresent the facts and they make up a whole lot of details about how he was helping Chelsea Manning steal information from the U.S. military that is not really reflected by the record. And I can say that having covered the court martial against Chelsea Manning in great detail back in 2013 and 2012. So, so, the, so the prosecution, or in this case, the attorneys for the U.S. are saying what? Well, you know, they're they're saying that Julian Assange recruited Chelsea Manning to leak to the uh, public to, you know, to leak to WikiLeaks and that they solicited this information that he was he set up a Dropbox so that Chelsea Manning could submit documents. Uh, then when she wanted to go around to the computer systems and hide her identity, he was willing to help her crack a password so that she could hide her identity. And the fact of the matter is that this just doesn't represent the truth of what happened with Chelsea Manning. She independently chose to release documents. She actually didn't go to WikiLeaks first. As we heard during the trial, she was planning on going to the New York Times or the Washington Post or Politico with the documents, but they did not respond to her. So she ultimately submitted the documents to WikiLeaks because it was the end of her. Um, she had a uh, she was on R&R in the United States. So she had a, a break and then she was supposed to return back to Baghdad. So she had these documents, needed to get rid of them, submitted them to WikiLeaks. Uh, she had access. She had a security clearance. To to say that she needed to hide her identity doesn't make any sense because she was authorized to download and take these documents out. And that is a problem. That was a security gap that was identified by President Barack Obama. They established a national insider threat task force after WikiLeaks. One of the things they did was tighten security around the thumb drives, and uh, at that time, they still use CD-ROM technology, so they tightened the security and said soldiers could no longer use those removable media to uh, just take documents out of these secure facilities. Again, you're listening to Kevin Gostola, who has been following the case of Julian Assange for, uh, well, over a decade now. Give us a call at 608-256-2001 if you want to join with an observation, a question, a comment. Again, 608-256-2001. I want to get to the bigger issues here. Um, that is, well, before, I, before we go there, sorry. Talk about where it stands now. There's There's this... The, the two there's this I guess deliberation by the two jurists in in London and what happens then? So we wait 
And there's been a lot of waiting and limbo in Julian Assange's case. And I, I feel like that's worth mentioning. Many of his supporters like to say there's punishment by the process, that this is something that the U.S. government can accept because it keeps Julian Assange in prison. But if he's denied uh, a hearing, he no longer can go to the U.K. Supreme Court. He has no avenues left in the legal system. So obviously his team wants them to grant an appeal hearing. Then we would have another several days of proceedings where they, they get to challenge the extradition more fully. And But if that doesn't happen, he only has the European Court of Human Rights to go to. And he can make an appeal there. He can petition them. They only accept a handful of these every single year. But if they grant the petition or agree to hear it, then he basically stays in prison for the next probably one to three years at least before they can hear his case. And it does postpone extradition. Uh, if the European Court of Human Rights rejects his request, his petition, then the U.S. can immediately bring him here to the United States. He would arrive in Alexandria, Virginia, just outside of D.C., and that's where they want to put him on trial for these Espionage Act charges. Jack tells me that we do have another caller. Hi, Joanne, you're on the air. Yes, great show. I have a specific question about oh, how hacker groups today. have... I have a specific, uh, question about how hacker groups have supported uh, Julian through the years, and if any activity is happening right now. Uh, whatever, 10, 10, 12 years ago, the, uh, uh, there were some uh, uh, rumblings that hacker groups would uh, either dump some other serious documents or uh, have some disruption if there would be something happening uh, uh, that was a negative toward uh, Julian Assange. But I'm just wondering, uh, is that happening today? Maybe we're ju it's just not being publicized. If you've heard of it uh, through uh, more uh, sensitive channels than the ones that uh, uh, we have access to here in Madison. So I'm not really sure what Hacker groups are doing, but you're right that back in 2010, there were you know, there's something called Anonymous. It was a collective that was very amorphous. There were different splinters of it that were going after these services that had decided they were going to deny WikiLeaks the ability to use them. In particular, Bay, uh, PayPal had, had said that they weren't going to process donations to WikiLeaks. And actually, Joe Lieberman was part of a pressure campaign to make sure that those companies didn't help WikiLeaks. There are something similar, though, like kind of what you're describing. There is this artist that has said, this was reported in the news media. I'm looking at a CBS News article, so I represent this accurately, that he'll destroy $45 million worth of Rembrandt, Picasso, and Warhol masterpieces if Julian Assange dies in prison. So, you know, we are seeing some people out there claiming that they're going to take dramatic action because the U.S. is willing to go through with this. 608-256-2001. I do want to get to the implications, the possible ramifications, uh, as, as you see them for the, this case, what it means. There's this uh, kind of global extraterritoriality being exercised by the U.S. Uh, to go after whomever, wherever. Yeah, this extraterritoriality is crucially important to why these charges must be dropped. 
Uh, we're talking about giving a green light to just about any country that if they want to protect their secrets, they could go ahead and arrest an international journalist or let's say a war correspondent who has obtained information and put them in jail and prosecute them on espionage charges eventually, essentially. And, and that's something that we need to consider. I've raised the example of what we see happening in Russia with Vladimir Putin and how he has detained this Wall Street Journal reporter, Evan Gershkovich. The allegation, the very general allegation against him is that he was going around trying to collect the state secrets of Russia about their involvement in the war in Ukraine and uh, or their operations in the war in Ukraine. And uh, he is in prison. He is in a detention facility right now and won't be returned to the U.S. Joe Biden and the Justice Department and everyone else are standing behind these charges against Julian Assange that say something similar. When you read the allegations, they are accusing WikiLeaks of running a website that would collect the United States government's state secrets. And even though he was after information from all sorts of countries, and the first leaks that were published at WikiLeaks came from Kenya, and he was focused on African and Middle Eastern countries. But this is something that I think we need to really appreciate, this fact that there's a race to the bottom being promoted by these charges. Jack tells me that uh, well, we have a, a, a caller who doesn't necessarily want to be on the air, but Fred wants to know why the Biden uh, administration doesn't dismiss the charges. That is a very good question, and they won't say why they won't dismiss the charges. They have been asked by journalists to defend this case, and people in the White House, as well as the U.S. State Department, say that you should ask the Justice Department, and then the Justice Department say they can't comment because it's a pending case. So all we can do is speculate, and at this point, I'm to... I, I've reached my limit of how patient I can be with Joe Biden, and, and I pretty much have to say it's because they endorse the allegations that have been made by uh, Trump officials. They truly believe that Julian Assange needs to be put on trial, and despite what they may say about protecting press freedom and, and human rights globally, they really do not care about putting a journalist on trial in the U.S., and, and if there's going to be some kind of effect on the First Amendment, they accept it. They would like to create a, a tighter boundary around journalism in a way that benefits national security uh, agencies as well as the U.S. military. Uh, we have another caller. I want to get everybody in this hour that, that calls. Uh, hello, Ron. You're on the air. No, thanks for the show. Uh my question for your guest is, uh, has anybody looked into uh, prosecuting the people who did the murdering of Iraqi citizens that Julian Assange uh, showed in uh, some videotape, uh, actually live feeds, and some of these uh, killings were done by a helicopter or drones, uh, but there were innocent people who were simply uh, standing around and, and were murdered. Has anybody brought these cases to The Hague or to other 
places for criminal prosecution of these individuals. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, the answer is that this did happen, that these people appealed to the U.S. government, particularly the Pentagon, and said that they should do a review and consider that war crimes had been committed by these soldiers. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, having the Pentagon investigate itself, they do not decide that they want to prosecute any of their own soldiers. So they say that they totally followed the rules of engagement. But here's what happened. Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange uh, together, they gave us the rules of engagement that the military was supposed to follow in that time, and they did not. They were not following the rules of engagement. And uh, what you're describing is one of the most important and vivid videos that WikiLeaks made public with that gunship attacking. Um, an earlier caller spoke about it. Um, just to be clear about it, this was a good Samaritan, as he's more commonly referred to, who had his two children in a van, stopped to help wounded people, and uh, they were wounded civilians. I think it was actually a Reuters employee, and he was loading them in the car, and they shot up the van. And it was, I think, a war crime that was captured in this video footage and shared with us all. There have been no prosecutions. Nobody has been held accountable for what happened. Again, you're listening to Kevin Gastola reporting for some time now on the case of Julian Assange and related matters. Uh, we're getting close toward the end of the hour, so if you want to get in with a call at 256-2001, 608-256-2001, uh, do it now, folks. Assange is, a, is an Australian citizen. The Espionage Act has never been extraterritorially applied against anyone outside the United States before. How has the Australian government responded? I, I saw some references. Yeah, this is remarkable. The Australian government, um, it's not just the parliament now, but also Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese have supported this motion that specifically and directly says to the U.S. government, we want our citizen to be returned home immediately. Drop the charges. Do not pursue this any further. We don't care what you say Julian Assange did. We want this to end. It's gone on long enough. And I think they take the position that, you know, he has been in prison now for five years nearly in Belmars. Let that be punishment enough. They also look to Chelsea Manning and say, Obama commuted her sentence. Chelsea Manning received a 35-year prison sentence, and then after six and a half, seven years, it was commuted. She was released. So the source of these documents, there was mercy shown to her, and they appealed to the U.S. government to do the same for Julian Assange, to back away and stop doing this. So where, where are things at this point? We kind of we kind of touched on it, but go into it a little bit further. What's... What's the weight now? Well, the weight now could be anything from a few days to several weeks. Um, I suppose it could be months. But you can really stretch out the calendar. And every so often, politics does work its way into this. This is a political case. People who talk about it and have their opinions of how the legal system in the UK has performed 
I can see very clearly that these judges are being careful to not cause some kind of a brouhaha between the UK and the United States where they, you know, the extradition treaty doesn't produce Julian Assange. He doesn't get extradited because they say it's prohibited. And then that threatens the diplomatic relationship between the United States and the UK. So there's constant concerns throughout these proceedings that these judges are making decision that doesn't really attend to the human rights of Julian Assange or the risks if he is extradited like they're supposed to do. And they're just concerned about upsetting the United States through their rulings. And so they're ruling a certain way. And, you know, we, we believe that there's a really good chance here that he could get a full appeal hearing, but everyone is very in tune with how these judges have not prioritized Julian Assange's rights throughout the proceedings so far. So far, talk about the international movement. You, we see footage, uh, of course, of people outside the courtroom, uh, and there's been documentaries and so on. Talk about the international response of, of various uh, rights groups, Amnesty International, Reporters Without Borders, uh, and so on. The international response is tremendous. It's fair to say at this point that the uh, movement to free Julian Assange has never been as big and that there are no reputable civil liberties organizations, human rights organizations, press freedom organizations that haven't come out and demanded that the charges be dropped against Assange. Uh, civil society, all these groups, even ones that the U.S. State Department works with on other cases of importance, uh, human rights abuse cases or press freedom cases, cases where journalists are put in jail, those groups are taking a stand here and saying that Julian Assange must be freed. We're seeing groups in cities all over. I went to a rally here in Chicago where I'm based. We were outside the Chicago Tribune and there was a very good demo. There were on a on a weekday there were somewhere like 40 or 50 people that came out. It was really fantastic. And these kinds of demonstrations are happening constantly. Uh, they did a demonstration in London where they wrapped around parliament at one point. Um, Stella Assange, who was Julian Assange's wife, has been a big, big, um, one of his, probably his chief advocate, and got all kinds of people to come out. And this demonstration just shows the people power that is behind ending this case. We have a little bit of time left. Uh, 608-256-2001. Talk about uh, um, Assange's wife and, and so on. I saw a documentary back last year uh, which she played, uh, she's played a, a central role in uh, keeping this case, before, certainly keeping this case before the public. Uh, talk about that a little. Yeah, I, I believe you might be referring to Ithaca. And uh, it, this is true that uh, she, so she met Julian Assange back in 2015. He was in the Ecuador embassy. They formed a relationship. Julian Assange actually fathered two children while he was in the Ecuador embassy. Um, and so part of this, as we talk about it, is that there's someone who hasn't been able to spend any time with his kids, has been taken away from them. And also, uh, he's got very limited time with Stella. And there are all kinds of restrictions, phone conversations, 
prison visits restricted. Those could actually get exponentially worse. Those restrictions could get much worse if he is in a detention facility or, uh, or a prison in the United States. Uh, she's been fantastic for him, as have advocates like Rebecca Vincent at Reporters Without Borders and some other people who have really come out there and made it plain what is happening with Julian Assange. And even while there are these setbacks and, and Julian Assange keeps finding that it's very hard to prevail, uh, they just keep fighting. Uh, just, Stella does not give up. Talk, talk about our, your work. Um, how can people um, you know, who want to learn more or want to keep, keep in touch with this issue, uh, what should they do? Yeah, I would encourage those who are interested in what they've heard here on the show to go to the dissenter dot org t h e d i s s e n t e r dot org. It's a newsletter that I regularly use to cover press freedom, whistleblower, and government secrecy stories. Uh, I use it to boost coverage of Julian Assange's case. This is the biggest press freedom case. It's sometimes been referred to as the press freedom case of the twentieth uh, 21st century. There's a lot at stake here, and I've used the newsletter to bring people, uh, make sure people are in tune with what is being done here. And uh, I also have the book, Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange, which I put together as a guide anticipating that it was very possible Assange could be brought here to the United States and put on trial. And I wanted to make sure that the public, especially Americans, could engage with all the issues and understand what was being alleged by the U.S. government. You know, I want to take a moment to do, give a shout out to the Progressive Magazine here in Madison and uh, uh, your piece that appeared there on Tuesday called Julian Assange's Last Chance to Avoid Extradition. The, the Progressive, of course, has a very long history of taking on these issues around civil liberties, freedom of the press, freedom of expression. Final words. For, for our listeners today, Kevin Gostola? Yeah, I suppose if there's anyone out there who thinks that this doesn't make any difference to them, you should recognize that this is about the First Amendment. Um, and maybe you have done some citizen journalism yourself. So I'd like you to consider what it might be like if uh, you had a chance to challenge some kind of corruption either on a national level or maybe on a state or local level. We see Republicans emboldened more than ever to subpoena journalists, raid newsrooms, go after the First Amendment and freedom of speech. I think people should consider how Julian Assange's struggle is a part of all of our struggles to protect freedom of speech in this country. Well, I want to thank you ever so much for giving us uh, the time this hour um, You've been listening to uh, Kevin Gostola, journalist. Uh, he's having he spent the last decade covering Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks stories, and the wider war on whistleblowers. As he mentioned, he's the author of Guilty of Journalism, the political case against Julian Assange, which is available from, Cens from Censored Press and Seven Stories Press. He edits and publishes The Dissenter, newsletter, which regularly covers press freedom, government secrecy, and whistleblowing, and that could be found at the, the dissenter, 
org. Uh, Kevin, once again, uh, thank you ever so much. And I hope you know, as new developments arise in this ongoing story, I hope to have you back sometime. Yeah, thank you very much. I want to thank uh, Jack for engineering today. I want to thank Jade for and Shali for helping to produce this uh, segment. And I want to thank you. I had a good number of callers today, so I want to thank certainly our callers, but you, our listeners. And uh, my name is Alan Ruff, and I'll be speaking with you next week. We come and listen and support it. Live and direct, we come and never be recorded. With information that will never be reported. Disregard the mainstream. Media distorted.